This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, don't drink the whole thing twice. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that gets sold to both sides. My name is Gepwin. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we are at the confusingly named and very unmemorable episode called Too Short a Season. Unless you're into uh, weird makeup choices. Yeah, there's not good makeup choices. This is also... I don't know. They, they do this de-aging plot in one way or another at least three times oh. <laughs> i think and this is probably the least memorable of them though it is a interesting adventure to watch i guess <laughs> even if it's not memorable there's some interesting stuff in it a bit but yeah it, i'd i'd forgotten which one this was i kept expecting a different character to show up until I was a good way through the episode and it was like, oh, wait, yeah, it's this one, not the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we'll have uh, opportunities to talk about those other uh, adventures later there. But uh, for this one, at least, uh, we get, uh, you know, an episode where most of the action is kind of taken over by the guest stars. Yeah. Like a lot the, of it. Yeah. It's kind of the first time in, uh, in Star Trek TNG here that kind of happens. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, it's a bit better than others overall. Uh I think probably the best example of that was when uh, uh, Cole Meany was still sort of a secondary character uh, and he like carried an entire episode and, you know, like, hmm, maybe he'd be good as a main character role. Mm -hmm. But that's a ways off. So So this is we we have a sort of returning writer because I think they collaborated a little bit on a previous episode, but not much. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is written by. Michael Michelin, who's the ex-husband of Catherine Powers, who wrote Code of Honor, hmm. and um, I think there may have been some like collaboration on that script. I was I was a little unclear. He also wrote for an ABC movie called The Deadly Are Missing, which starred Leonard Nimoy. Huh. Uh, he also uh, wrote for uh, something called Con. <laughs> <laughs> and. TV shows like The Quest, Kung Fu, Fantastic Voyage, you know, that that sort of thing. And Friday the 13th, the series. Yeah, don't. I, there's a reason no one remembers that. <laughs> and then also the teleplay was co-written by DC Fontana, who shows up a lot. We, we yes. know her. She's fantastic, uh, though, uh, you know, probably getting a bit fed up with the writer's room here at this point in, in uh, Star Trek here. Yeah, everyone was at this at this part of the first season. Oh, guest stars. Um, even though this is a very guest star focused episode, it's not a very guest star heavy episode, which is nice for me. Hooray! Uh, so Clayton Rohner plays Admiral Jameson. He starred in some '85 stuff, like it was in an '85 movie called uh, Just One of the Guys. And was on a lot of TV shows like Angel, X-Files, TJ Hooker. He's one of those people that's been around in things. Yes. Earth Force. Uh, <laughs> Murder One. And Good versus Evil. There's also uh, Marissa Hunt. She plays the Admiral's wife, Ann Jameson. Uh, she actually began acting in 1935. Was Ooh. blacklisted in the 50s, which kind of put a little like rest in her career. And then she came back uh and t- in like 26 and like 2006 when she started doing more stuff after having been blacklisted for a while she had like little bits and pieces like this but you know it was a lot of stuff going on there <laughs> yeah yeah well, uh, this was the last role she had uh before the sort of big break there mm-hmm. um so you know last you know a couple things is like the empire state building murders tv movie uh, but uh, before then you know you know she was on murder she wrote police story uh harry o ironsides and a whole bunch of other things going way back and as of this recording she is currently the oldest living star trek actor at age 104 wowzers yeah in a few more centuries uh, she'll be as uh, old as her husband looked like in this episode yeah 
that's not fair. In the episode, he's supposed to have a degenerative disease or some such. True. Then finally, we have Michael. We have Michael Pataki playing Karnas. He uh, showed up before. He played Korax in Trouble with Tribbles. Hmm. Um, he was also on a lot of guest starring roles on stuff like X-Files, Rawhide, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures! Oh, I love Mighty Mouse. I don't know if I ever saw The New Adventures. I, I don't think I have. <laughs> uh, it's also in Ren and Stimpy show. It's uh, various characters, uh, often a cow. Sure. So... This episode's light on a lot of stuff, so we may as well jump in. All right, let's get, let's get light. I don't know. Usually we have more. Well, usually we have more to like gripe about before we start on yeah, the story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is like just kind of a thing that happens as far as Star Trek goes. So the Enterprise is en route to confer with an Admiral Jameson because he's been requested to personally negotiate a terrorist hostage situation on more than four where terrorists have captured a Federation ambassador, which is why the Federation is getting involved. Hmm. Now, uh, this is uh, this sort of the first time uh, this sort of a hostage situation pops up, but there's going to be various ones throughout the series as we go forward. So the Admiral and his wife being bored, the Admiral is in a Professor X-style wheelchair, um, like <laughs> full body, covers your entire lower section kind of style wheelchair. Yeah. It's like when I was watching uh, Picard meet the ambassador, it's like, hmm, maybe I should get me one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Hortense. He doesn't even show, but he doesn't even get that until the new uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. <laughs> Light spoilers for the new Doctor Strange movie, I guess. Yeah. I should probably get around to seeing, but I've seen the GIFs. <laughs> where he does the, uh, the, the grinding on the rail around the room. So the Admiral makes a point of... Very much informing the captain that while, you know, the captain's in charge of the ship, he is in complete control of the mission and the away team and everything else, just not the ship. All right. Uh, I guess then if Picard wanted to just fly the ship off somewhere else, then uh, he could. Neat. So later on, they get to the bridge where they are contacted by Karnas, the leader of Mordan. The terrorists have demanded that they will only discuss things with the Admiral. Hmm. So that's why he's coming. Any excuses will result in the death of the hostages, including the ambassador. You know, the admiral thinks the terrorists only want to negotiate with him and not Karnas because they might want weapons and things that the planetary government won't negotiate on, but they think the Federation might. Probably uh, some uh, previous experience here. Also, Karnas seems a bit shifty, but uh, the admiral's explanation kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, the whole thing seems very shifty. Very, very shifty. Mm hmm. It's one of those. It's one of those. Everyone knows something weird is happening. Episodes, but no one's allowed to talk about it because yeah. chain of command stuff. Cards probably think I need to encourage my crew to like think, uh, you know, be be open about their concerns more often. Hmm. So the admiral returns to his quarters where his wife's putting away their things, marveling at these new ships because you know the quarters are huge and things on a galaxy class ship. Yeah, these things are like bigger than most hotel rooms. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to live on a ship like that. The Admiral's having weird pains. He seems very unconcerned about them getting more weird health stuff. Yeah, well, also, I, I do think I forgot to mention, the Admiral is supposed to be 85. He looks about 110. Or higher. <laughs> yeah. He, he is later revealed to have a degenerative like genetic disease. But uh, he looks older than Dr. McCoy looked in the first episode. Yes. And uh, McCoy is like 100 bazillion years old at this point. Yeah, he's supposed to be about 30 years younger than McCoy was in the first episode. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely a, uh, there's something wrong with this guy. And uh, Also, the old age makeup does not hold up at all. Not really. It, it kind of looks like his face is just kind of chunky. So, Picard and Dr. Crusher are talking about being concerned and confused about the Admiral because he lied about his medical records. Because he gave her test results that were two months old instead of the two days old like he said they were. Mm -hmm. So he might be hiding something, but who knows what, because it's weird to lie about your medical records like that. Yeah. Uh, there is, I, th I think this is the moment uh, where Picard sort of has an interesting exchange with Crusher there. Uh, where it almost seems like he's dismissing uh, what she's saying about her concerns. But she's like, no, I actually do care about your, 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 what you're saying here. It's just, you know, yeah, I just I want you to make sure that... You know that I'm listening, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of good character moment. 
So he asks her to keep an eye on things, which is a really good idea, because later Picard offers Jameson the con, just for old time's sake, fly the ship, you know, you haven't got, you've been working a desk for a while. He gets up out of his wheelchair and walks across the bridge. Hmm. And uh, everyone's like, this guy's gonna, like, fall over and break all his bones, isn't he? And But he makes it, so. Yeah, you're pretty spry for someone who's wheelchair bound there yeah now this is something they make a big deal about in the show a lot of people who need wheelchairs don't need them full time and can't walk short distances and mostly need them to rest in like it's not a thing that anyone in a wheelchair can't walk at all they make a big deal about it in the show so yeah it's an important plot point yeah I've, um in, i have uh, actual some personal experience there uh, my uh, mom uh, near you know the later uh, years of her life uh, couldn't go long distances, so if we needed to be out and about, she'd need to get a you know uh, chair uh, uh, along with to make sure that she could actually get places. So Jameson has claimed that he can walk now because of a new therapy that he began before they left. Uh, Crusher's baffled because there's no cure or treatment or anything for his condition. Yes, like, there's there's never been anyone who's ever improved this situation. Yeah, this might be a good uh, excuse to call up uh, this guy's doctor and say, hey, so you s- apparently come up with a miracle cure, uh, but, you know, we don't... Why really, haven't I heard yeah, about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't follow up on that particular line of uh, questioning. Mm-hmm. So even back in the Admiral's quarters, his wife is very surprised by his recovery and how he's nooks notably younger, which a lot of people aren't, you know, commenting on. Yeah. <laughs> Yet, he also gets weird pains and falls over which prompts her to call sick bay because of course it's like you, you keep having these horrible pain things and you're looking weird maybe uh you know getting a medical checkup would be a good idea at this point and also you're uh, kind of uh, hunched over so we're you're not in a good position to complain against uh yeah you you're know. kind of dying yeah. over there yeah. so uh you, we're not going to let you refuse it this time so crusher's found a weird substance in his blood she doesn't recognize it um, also, he doesn't have his disease anymore. Huh. Which is weird. Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> Until she runs more tests, she has no idea what's going on. Picard decides to confront Jameson about this, but he has nothing to hide now, because they found him out. So he looks even younger than he did last time we saw him. Mm-hmm. And he explains that when he found out he had a degenerative disease, he went to the planet Cerber- in the Cerberus system, where they have some sort of thing that rejuvenates the body he was able to get it because he did them like a favor later they usually don't give it to outsiders i feel like this is something that we hit in original series too i (laughs) forgot to look up whether it was the same planet Uh, or not well uh, are you talking about uh you know uh garth of izar yeah Uh, i don't remember uh, what planet he he uh got his uh, thing from but if it was izar yeah it's a different planet but uh yeah. I should look that up. Yes. <laughs> Quick to the internet. <laughs> there you are. Garth. Blah, 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 blah. Devolved into madness. Asylum. Yeah, where's his thing? Where did where did he get it? Uh, okay, and on Antos 4. Antos, so that's a different place. The gentle beings of Antos 4, which let's go to Antos and just make sure it's not in the service system for some reason. <laughs> An energy controlling species known as the giant dry worms. Cool. (laughs) Let's have an episode about those guys. Ah, Apparently there's some books. Hmm. So yes, it is a completely other, unrelated rejuvenating treatment by completely other aliens that have nothing to do with the ones who did it in the original series episode. Yeah, though uh, Garth in particular was more of a, my body's been torn asunder. This guy's just really uh, Hmm. old and suffering from diseases. Yeah. Though I do think it's interesting because now, like, just to, like if they did this in Strange New Worlds, oh my God, there would be like a whole half hour long wink at the audience, look, we remembered a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> bit. In this, they just they did exactly the same thing, but didn't even bother to check what the name of the old planet was because who cares? <laughs> well, there's just a bunch of planets like this where you can get uh, miracle cures for whatever. Just, you know, yeah. tracking them down is tricky. So Jameson was taking the treatment as directed for a bit, but it works fairly slowly. Mm-hmm. When the hostage negotiation started, he decided that he needed to be young and virile and able to do the process. So he took... Not only his own dose, but the one he'd gotten for his wife, too. 
So that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, overdosing uh, on one is bad enough. On two, yeah, that just... What are you thinking, guy? Come on. Yeah, it's probably not good. It seems to be working, though. It's putting his body under enormous strain, but he is de-aging rather rapidly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even his uh, hair color is changing, though hair doesn't really work like that. Well, you don't know how this thing works. <laughs> or maybe he's dying his hair. There we go. <laughs> Uh, Anne is pretty understandably upset because he didn't ask if she wanted any of this mm-hmm. and he put his life at risk without talking to her about it. You know, anything. It's not a good look for a marriage here, dude. Yeah, it's like, uh, this is something that's going to affect both of them. So you might want to like consult your wife. So Jameson leaves and decides to just continue doing his all important mission here. Uh, he contacts Karnas again to get information that he may be holding back. Uh, He's not giving much about the terrorists, and he's very evasive. So Jameson now believes that there are no terrorists. Also, Jameson is hiding out in the shadows a lot when he's on the con. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just he's sitting back in the shadows like, no, it's just dark in here. Never mind. Yes, it could be anyone playing me in this particular seat here. But anyway, uh, so why are the sausages? (laughs) So Karnas apparently may be keeping the hostages himself as some sort of ploy to get Jameson to pay for them, working both sides possibly. No one knows yet, but Mm -hmm. Karnas is lying about something. Yes. So Jameson orders the ship at double speed to arrive ahead of schedule and throw Karnas off his game. And... He also now wants to lead an armed rescue mission instead of a negotiation. So, uh, mission has changed. Got it. Uh, more phasers. Yeah. He will raid the tunnels under the city where he believes that Karnas is going to hide hostages because that's where he hid hostages before during the war thing that he negotiated earlier. You'd, you'd think that uh, knowing his plan like this would be something that the uh, Karnas would be like aware of, but James is just like, nah, he's not creative. He just does the same thing over and over again as long as it works. Meanwhile, Anne is getting counseled by Dr. Crusher and Troy. Um, she's upset that Jameson now has his life to live over again because she wanted to enjoy their old age together and retire. But now he's going to be a young kid, and where does that leave her? Hmm. And Dr. Crusher goes, well, I have some good news and bad news. Yes, yeah, so the good news is you don't have to worry about that. Guess the bad news is. Yeah, the bad news is he's going to die. Well, uh, maybe it's time to like say goodbye to your husband. You know... While he's still, you know, not busy being shot in a tunnel somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so Picard tries to talk Jameson out of this whole armed raid thing, really. Because he was able to negotiate before. But he says, in fact, the official story is a lie. He didn't actually negotiate and save the hostages 40 years ago. <gasps> he gave Karnas all of the weapons that he wanted. Oh, to dang. To get the hostages back. He's pulling But... It- to be fair, he gave what, the same weapons to the enemies. Oh, uh, right. I'm suddenly reminded of a private little war. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So he was hoping that this would turn into a stalemate because both sides would have previously unimaginable firepower. But instead, it just led to a 40-year civil war. Whoops. So now Karnas wants revenge. And so this time, Jameson's going to take the hostages by force like he should have done the first time. At least in his estimation. So, they prepare to beam down. Picard insists on going with them to keep an eye on his people, I guess. When they arrive, Jameson doesn't know where they are. His memory of the tunnels is contradicting Data's maps. Yes, uh, it's almost like, you know, decades of time has passed and they've remodeled it maybe a few times. Yeah, and maybe you can't (laughs) trust your memories from 40 years ago. Yes, even if your body's young again, that doesn't mean your memory is too. The Admiral insists that he's correct and presses forward. The tunnel's blocked off, though. Yeah. Jameson orders them to cut through it. Uh, Jordy sees an infrared beam. It's probably alarm. It's just before they're attacked by Karnas' troops. Yes. Uh, though it kind of maybe implies that the beam's going like across the tunnel like a tripwire, but then it doesn't really matter anyway since the troops suddenly show up. Also, they kind of remind me of uh, some of the goons from Blake 7 as far as their weapons uh, choices are concerned. Yeah, though all the all the non-Federation like weapons and troops and whatever in this are weird because they try to skirt that they're not in the Federation, so they don't have the standard uniform. But we don't know how to dress anyone that's not in a standard uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're blue fatigue, sort of, uh, kind of. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
For hiding in tunnels, yeah. <laughs> so they get attacked. Jameson collapses in the middle of the firefight, and they have to beam everyone back to the ship. And uh, everyone's kind of together in a huddle, and it's, you know, they're just cuddling. So Karnas contacts them because he's kind of upset about how, you know, they tried to break in and steal the hostages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he gives them 10 minutes to beam down Jameson, or he's going to kill everyone. You know, Picard, you could say that uh, Jameson was uh, responsible for that ill-fated uh, attempt uh, and was uh, horribly injured in the process. So, uh, you know, he mm-hmm. might be dying here. So uh, could you give us a little more yeah, time? You, you could say something about yeah. it at all. <laughs> yeah. So even though Jameson's dying, he wants to go anyway because mm-hmm. he's going to die one way or another. So he may as well trade his life for the hostages. Yeah, yeah that's fair. So Picard, Crusher, and Jameson beam down. The Karnas doesn't even recognize him because he's de-aged. Yeah, all, all the way. He's not wearing any makeup, but, you know, except maybe some blush, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, now he looks like he's in his 30s. And Karnas refuses to believe that this fountain of youth stuff that they're spouting. You know, he wants to show Jameson the broken world he created. But uh, as Picard says... Karnas demanded weapons, fought for years, started a civil war, continued a civil war, and is now like, this is all Jameson's fault. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, responsibility on your own head there for, you know, you know, not trying to figure out a way to settle things without massive amounts of violence. Yeah. But, but I, you know, yeah, I it's guess, your fault. You yeah. gave me weapons. <laughs> but I guess you just couldn't stop until all your enemies are dead, and so... You have no responsibility forever because, you know, you had that compulsion, I guess. Now, Karna still has trouble believing that this young man is the old admiral that he wanted to revenge on. But they show him the whole transformation in a lot of still pictures. Mm-hmm. The future's weird. Yep. <laughs> Let me show uh, you a slideshow here. It's fine. <laughs> Karnas can't have his revenge anymore because Jameson's dying anyway. He tells Karnas the details of the meeting that only two of them attended and shows them a scar from their blood bond that conveniently didn't go away. No, that was useful. Yeah. Uh, Karnas prepares to kill him, but decides it's better to just watch him die slowly and painfully. Yeah, you, know, you could give him a, a quick death and uh, feel good about, uh, you know, finally getting down the guy that you've been hating for poor, re- you know, mm-hmm. poor, poorly thought out reasons for ages. Or you could just watch him suffer until, you know, he dies a few seconds later. So they beam down Jameson's wife. He dies in her arms. Karnas lets the hostages go, and everyone leaves. Yep. And uh, Picard, I'd recommend maybe you know evacuating these hostages and just not having a uh, you know an, uh, an ambassadorial uh, sort of uh, effort on this planet until this guy's not in power anymore. Because it yeah yeah it seems like he's maybe not trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, he's doing some weird stuff and. Let's, yeah, not give them a chance to take more Federation hostages, maybe. Yeah, but that's not addressed at all. We don't really know what happened to the hostages other than they're released. I think it's um, it's interesting. There's th- this episode, one we're going to get to a bit later, a lot of stuff in the first season, really, has been doing this very 80s thing that we aren't really commenting on that much anymore, which is... Here's a lot of really bad things that happened when we, the United States, shipped a bunch of weapons to people. Yep. (laughs) Which, uh, interestingly, is something that we still do. Mm -hmm. Um, We have done for years, ever since the Cold War. We never stopped. Uh, We just don't talk about it very much anymore. Yeah, the... uh, uh, In in fact, I was uh, trying to do a little bit of a wiki uh, uh, search for uh, some of these things, and... uh, in terms of specifically arms uh, sales and uh, transfers, you know, some things are well documented, others much less so. And that's a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Generally on the newer stuff, too. But Well, uh, like the, uh, the Iran-Contra thing would have been pretty recent news mm-hmm. at this point. Because this episode came out in, in 1988. Yes. And the Iran-Contra thing was between 85 and 87. Well, that's when people really knew about it, but uh, it actually yeah. started earlier than that. But, like, when it would have been in public knowledge and, like, you know, the writers would have been able to t- take inspiration from it mm-hmm. uh, yep. is, uh, you know, this. When Reagan was secretly selling weapons to 
people that he shouldn't have been. Yeah, so uh, the uh, little bit of background. Uh, so the country of Nicaragua in uh, Central America uh, was, uh, you know, having a sort of an internal dispute uh, between, you know, left wing and right wing sort of groups. And Reagan being, you know, uh, you know, generally communists are bad. Uh, I was like, I'm going to uh, fund uh, and give arms to uh, the Contras, the right wing rebel group in Nicaragua. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's going to be a okay because they're going to fight for us. Oh, they're committing atrocities. Uh, whoops. Uh, so, con uh, Congress is like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be funding these kind of guys that are just going about and just murdering everyone because, you know, that's one, not helpful for anyone. And yeah, this is just awful. Uh, so, uh, we're going to put, uh, you know, into law that you can't do that. So Reagan's like, hmm, well... Maybe if we have an intermediary, uh, hey, Iran, uh, you know, we're, you know, kind of like hostile to each other. So, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll give you some weapons and uh, those, the, the money from that will be uh, sort of laundered in order to buy weapons for the Contras still uh, and everything will be fine, right? Yeah, it turned out perfectly, <laughs> and we didn't have any reason to think about it again. But then, you know, information about this did start coming out, and uh, so there was a, a bit of an inquiry, and uh, that's how Oliver North got, uh, uh, you know, infamous, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's sort of like, okay, so maybe some people are going to go to jail. Uh, and Reagan's like, I didn't know anything for sure. And, uh... And so there is a, a, you know, what they call a, a, a bit of a controversy there, a, a scandal even. Um, and so there was, a, you know, some investigations going in and there were people that were going to be going to jail. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the presidential election happened and George H.W. Bush became president. Uh, and uh, suddenly a bunch of people got pardoned. That's weird. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting how that works. Yes. You know, uh like oh uh yeah i'm not reagan so you know there's no conflict of interest here so yeah hmm so everything is uh forgiven and forgotten now so let's move on america but yeah, you know for some reason never a conflict of interest when the former <laughs> vice president pardons the president that they were working under yeah this well, happens several times yeah or their uh various underlings and uh you know associates there uh yeah, maybe, you know, since, but since it's not a problem, maybe we should still encode some rules into the bat anyway. You know, that would make sense, even though it's clearly not a problem that keeps on happening. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a weird, weird loophole in our pardon system that people keep openly talking about exploiting to get away with things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, even in the recent times, you know, uh, you know, someone associated with the president, you know, maybe spending some time in jail suddenly gets, uh, you know, pardoned. Uh, you know, it's 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 not a tit for tat sort of you protected me. I'm going to protect you sort of thing. Not at all. And I really, really hope my sarcasm is uh, getting annoying at this point because this sort of pattern is annoying and it's something we should actually, you know, fix. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is it is fairly interesting to look at how this episode in the late 80s handles this question as opposed to how like you mentioned private little war handled it back in the 60s mm -hmm. because uh we, people can go back and look that up if you want to but private little war involved the klingons and the federation both having to arm various factions on a neutral planet to perform a proxy war Indeed. And the takeaway from that episode was it's sad that we need to do this, but it's necessary to maintain the balance because otherwise the Klingons would just take over and that would be bad. But uh, I guess uh, in the uh, this uh, new era of the Federation, folks are like, you know, maybe we don't have to worry about the Klingons really... Uh... Yeah, maybe just you know, arming both sides is just a bad idea on its own. Well, what's interesting here is they, they do say that the Admiral did something wrong. Mm -hmm. He did, oh, 
well, it's it's wrong that you gave them weapons. That was bad. And you shouldn't have done that. It's yes. against Federation, whatever. You definitely should not have given them weapons. But none of the harm that happened is really our fault, though. <laughs> no blame for us, really. <laughs> Which is still, it's still working from a weird model of how we think about uh, American like empire and, and power in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because America has a very long history, especially in South America, with like the Nicaragua thing. Yep. <laughs> like we have a long history of destabilizing functioning democracies that are interfering with capitalist interests. Oh no, they're going to privatize the uh, the hat making industry. Let's uh, take our bananas and uh, you know uh, fund some uh, uh, contras here. Yeah, mostly fruit. It's mostly for the fruit industry. Hence um, the term banana republic. Yeah, I'm forgetting now. Was it Guatemala? I'm, I'm forgive me. I'm forgetting the country. But there was there was definitely a time like a a fully democratic, uh, somewhat socialist leaning government got elected decided to take all of the land that the fruit industry was leaving barren to drive up fruit prices Hmm. and seize it and give it to people who would actually use it to farm food for themselves yeah (laughs) but this is uh, this is bad here because my uh, favorite uh, part uh... my absolute (laughs) favorite part is they did pay the fruit industry for this they did pay them for the land Mm -hmm. but they paid them what they claimed the land was worth when they paid taxes on it (laughs) so uh they didn't like that price then (laughs) yeah they didn't like that and then they came crying to the american government which destabilized the functioning democracy forced the duly elected president out and funded a coup help us they paid for what we valued our land as um why do we care bananas let's go yeah and so that in in this like this is not the exact situation but you can draw parallels because of the whole weapons dealing plot Mm -hmm. in this episode they are essentially removing america's like interfering impulses in here you're saying these guys demanded weapons we didn't come in (laughs) to a we didn't come into a rebel group go hey you want some want some weapons as long as you do what we want we didn't come in and do anything they demanded weapons this guy gave it to them but then they're the ones who chose to (laughs) use them so really it's the onus is on them the people who are choosing to do violence um so uh so, so I'm not going to say that you know, there wasn't uh, you know some culpability for Carnass here, but you know it's a lot easier not to shoot somebody if you don't actually have a gun. Yeah, I mean they obviously needed these weapons for something, otherwise they wouldn't have asked for them. And like you could make an argument that they would have had exactly the same civil war since both sides got both sides got the same weapons and they had a 40 year long civil war so obviously having the advanced weaponry didn't do anything the advanced weaponry uh, may have been uh, better at uh, killing but uh, yeah, apparently it did kill them enough or fast enough mm. or something i guess shrug but it's kind of it's kind of perpetuating this idea that you know the u.s proxy in this case our u.s proxy is was faced with this impossible decision and it's so sad that the evil terrorists put them in this position or you know maybe uh find a different solution (laughs) yeah you could have done that too you could have actually negotiated and something anything you know yeah and especially given that the uh, previous uh you know negotiators in you know the episode are mentioned as being uh, have being uh, assassinated it's like you know if we keep going into this situation, we're going to die. So if we're going to negotiate, we need to negotiate a little bit more on our terms. Otherwise, there's no point, And you're just going to kill the hostages anyway. So, you know, and then maybe you'll have any sort of leverage. Also, uh, why, mm-hmm. why do we keep sending Federation people to this planet anyway? Seems like a bad idea. Yeah, that seems like a bad <laughs> idea. Now, I will admit, a lot of that is bringing in outside of the show influences. But we're looking at the political... The political 
climate of the time period when the episode came out. Mm -hmm. This is not stuff that was explicitly in the text of the show. But it is excusing stuff that America was embroiled in controversy for. It's, It's lightly criticizing America for doing something bad but not going into the full extent of what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess uh, the uh, the Contras would still be murdering people, but we would not be arming them specifically, I guess. Yeah, but they might not be because, you know, they are a rebel group that we funded to try to mm-hmm. fight a proxy war with what we saw as communist people. But given it was Reagan, he was probably just <laughs> funding full-on right-wing dictators. Cause... Yeah, <laughs> it's Reagan. <laughs> That's what he does. As as the Boondocks is fond of saying, Ronald Reagan is the devil. <laughs> oh, I can get behind that uh, characterization. <laughs> you know, he's uh, someone who is uh, much loved in the, uh, I guess, the mythology of America, you know, in the 80s and a uh, few decades since. But really, when you actually look at his record, it's just awful. Like, just this kind of stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that, uh, the other thing we get into is this this weird way that star trek treats ageism yeah and you know uh being old is you know at one hand uh you know jack all the wisdom and things like that which picard is talking about uh and uh the other hand you know it's you know being a uh, old is you know a a burden something that you know will prevent you from doing all the things you want to and uh and you're going to have to automatically feel useless and you can't just be yourself, you know, I guess. Yeah, well, so again, we can contrast with some stuff in original series where one of the things that they dealt with in at least one animated episode, I forget how often, if it showed up much other places, is their mandatory retirement age thing. Yes. And like, which was pretty young for given how long people live in this show. Yeah, it was like 60 something, right? Yeah. Um, which shows an inherent devaluation of people when they get older, especially once you've been promoted to like desk job admiral. Yeah, it's like you're you're, you're you sit at a desk and tell other people to fly ships places. Uh, if you were on the ship, you'd be sitting it down and telling people to fly the ship places. This is only slightly you know easier here, but apparently it's going to be too much for you all the same. I guess mm. you can argue that most of these episodes are definitely trying to critique they're definitely trying to critique ageism Mm -hmm. they're going about it in such a weird way (laughs) because like yeah they are critiquing ageism because you are shown that the character who's obsessed with youth is wrong yes like the the entire text of the show is this character thinks that he can't function the way that he needs to being old so he dangerously de-ages himself in order to try to be at his like best physical mental state in order to do these negotiations well you do know you can uh, you know if you are worried about the physical demands of this particular sort of uh, situation there's a whole crew of folks here that you know are basically at your beck and call in order to like help out here so you know any sort of physical demands that you don't think you're worried uh, ready for aren't really a problem and so you know what else is there that you're actually concerned here you seem you know uh, sound of mind other than you know thinking it's a good idea to take you know two full doses of this drug here but mm-hmm. other than that you seem to be pretty sharp you figure out what's actually going on with the uh, you know with Karnas there just by sort of interacting with him and sort of catching all his cues and things like that so you know you're not suffering from like you know alzheimer's or something like that so what what's the matter guy come on <laughs> see this is the strange subtextual issue that you wind up in when a show tries to critique a social problem this way because it's essentially taking a social problem ageism and the devaluing of older people mm-hmm. and turning it into an individual problem okay. this individual person doesn't like the fact that he is older and so does some dangerous stuff to be obsessed with youth. And we, we do find being obsessed with youth to overall be a negative trait. Um, the thing that gets ignored when you do change something from a social problem to an individualist problem, there's only two ways that that can be a problem for that individual. Either this is an inherent belief that all people have that being old makes you weak and and useless 
and that's just something that all people will eventually believe about themselves and have to take a force of will to unlearn or not even unlearn just unbelief it's something you will eventually come to no matter what and some people have the force of will to like stop believing that or it's still a social problem and you as someone who grew up in this society have those beliefs so when you reach the age at which those beliefs would apply to you you believe them about yourselves it's internalized ageism yes maybe he was ageist like his entire life then hmm well he would be even yeah. if he wasn't you know explicitly ageist it it often some of these beliefs that you get taught societally even if you don't believe that you are applying them to other people once it comes to yourself they they sort of manifest themselves more strongly it's the same sort of thing just from my own personal like queer experiences like internalized homophobia and biphobia like it's it's the sort of thing that i don't believe about other people can come up when I'm thinking about myself. Uh, this uh, sort of internalized uh, uh, critique is, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, gets to that thing that uh, you are you are generally your your hardest uh, uh, critic or your own worst enemy, and you know the you know you know the the things that you feel about others is just so amplified because you feel that you know yourself so much better than than you know them so obviously this critique is way more valid and that's not actually the case yeah there's also the very the very understandable thing of needing to keep yourself more safe like if you know that the that a society is is hostile and devalues older people you see older people and go well i am not going to devalue that person and if they can do stuff that they need to live that's great and i support them mm -hmm. then when you get to that age you're like well now society is devaluing me in a way that i find dangerous and i need to do something about that for myself yeah sometimes that thing might not be a wise decision so you know don't take uh, age reduction drugs guys yeah, even if you have them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, this is maybe one of the things uh, that uh, I, I have uh, some some potential issues with uh, in terms of uh, the the end of death sort of uh, you know arguments that you know the you know it's like we'll stop aging and well when are we going to stop aging in terms of what how old will you be. Uh, and that's maybe something that uh, we're going to have to sort of deal with as a society if there is the, you know, quote, ideal time for you know, to stop aging, then, you know, anyone who is older, you know, in a vi you know, visual sort of way or you, you get what I mean here is, is clearly <laughs> stop their aging at a later point in their life. You know, they might be, you know, either accused of having not taken the procedure or. They're going to be sort of ostracized for being a uh, a late adopter or something like that, and uh, you know there's going to be a whole different uh, type of ageism at that point. You know, it's like yes, we're all centuries old, but you look like you're sixty, and I only look forty. It's gonna be weird. It could be weird. Yeah. I don't think we're really gonna get there. Like we've people keep having these things. We found a way to de-age certain things in cells. We found a way to get rid of this genetic copying error etc etc it's very much more complicated yes <laughs> and it's yeah. one of those things that's going to be near impossible to get to and we're certainly not going to have to worry about it in our lifetime although if we do that would be cool <laughs> <laughs> to uh quote uh you know uh, you know you know Ivanova and marcus uh well who wants to live forever uh, i do but what the hell <laughs> <laughs> and we better have improved society a lot by then yes. otherwise you're gonna have like i don't know everyone's just gonna die by suicide at some point yeah, alternatively, we're going to get those things like that one uh, movie where, you know, how much money you have determines how much time you have left over. That's getting really mm -hmm. depressing. <laughs> well, of course, then you wind up with an interesting question that I don't think I've seen anyone really do in a sci-fi setting. If you have the capacity to not die, if you have the capacity to prevent yourself from dying with these drugs, is choosing to not take the drugs and die anyway considered suicidal behavior? Hmm. Well, uh, you know, hypothetically, uh, society would also be, you know, more okay with that as a sort of outcome. 
because uh, sometimes people will just kind of get di- uh, done with living forever. So, you know, you can't blame them. But, uh, for... Yeah, but why? Like a society that developed this, a society yeah. that spent all this time and energy developing it, trying to distribute it to as many people as possible for this to become a societal norm. This suggests a society that is fundamentally uncomfortable with the idea of death. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't see why you would suddenly become more comfortable with the idea of death if very few people are, in fact, dying. Yes. <laughs> this actually does remind me of a, uh, a short story I may have brought up uh, before. Uh, it's called Outnumbering the Dead. And uh, it uh, features a protagonist for which these sorts of drugs don't work. Uh, that everyone else can live forever, but he is going to uh, hit nine year 100 and that's going to be it. Uh, and so he, you know, goes through the procedures to, uh, you know, keep his youthful appearance, even though his, internally his body's falling apart. Uh, and uh, you got, you know, sort of a situations like, well, I kind of have to come to terms with my death, but so does everyone else around me, because this is really weird for them, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm not going to just die by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just not, not wake up one day. It's going to be... Uh, can we awkward for everybody? <laughs> I think that's how it went. See, that's why anytime they introduce something like this into a into a sci-fi show, they always have to do this sort of. It is something that's known by this one particular isolationist species that will not share it with outsiders, no matter what you do. And it's uh, dangerous if you do use it, and it doesn't work for even all of their people. So you know, it's a big risk, and you can't get it anyway. So don't even bother. Mm-hmm. That seems like maybe they should look into this and the other thing and some of these other de-aging <laughs> thingies before they try to completely destroy a planet for it and insurrection. But... Yeah. <laughs> so there's options out there, guys. Come on. <laughs> but uh, maybe this uh, procedure doesn't solve the the one thing that the uh, that that one uh, bad role was uh, concerned about. And uh, yeah. yeah is like i don't know maybe like he had an ingrown toenail or something like that uh, i've been all over the galaxy and no one can fix my ingrown toenail <laughs> have you tried yes i've tried that okay i haven't even told you what it is <laughs> <laughs> the the word was anything but uh but yeah this, this is a uh an episode where you got a guy who's sort of internalized that fear uh, and so maybe a, an interesting question for the episode would have been, you know, you know, Anna's like kind of just generally upset that her husband's dying and has been taking some, you know, ill, ill, uh, you know, uh, ill uh, thought of, uh, decisions here without consulting her. Um, but yeah, I kind of would have liked to know a little bit more about her perspective on aging other than he's going to be young now and I'm not. Yeah. Cause that's sort well, of, well, she did very... kind of say that. She was looking forward to the being old and enjoying your life together thing, yeah. which is another one of these things that just, oh my God, straight people. Um, <laughs> just this, I, they, there's this general idea that you're, you're supposed to spend all of your time separate and apart while you're working and never enjoy any time together. And then eventually when you hit 60 or 70, be able to stop working and finally be together as a couple and it's something that they say like a lot of people look forward to and then of course you get obsessed with your job because it's all you've been doing your entire life and then you can't relax and just enjoy your time together and that's kind of where we're at with that as far as her story arc is going is he's obsessed with his job this is a way that he's going to be able to continue being obsessed with his job So you know, maybe could have had her have a a thing where you know I was finally starting to get him to calm down and to think about other things, but then this thing came up, and now all that you know effort is kind of thrown out the window, and then suddenly he took this drug, and you know it, maybe some other things there, but yeah, I don't got a complete thought here really, but uh, just sort of some I mean, things generally. You know, to expand it is on. in fact a problem of another couple that's just not communicating with yeah. each other <laughs> like we're finally learning how to communicate and then he stopped communicating and didn't tell me things crap our uh, uh she did mention like we've always been honest with each other now i'm wondering is that true maybe this is just the first time that he's been caught yeah he's dh several times <laughs> well yeah we mean more like he's been up to various shenanigans without telling her and uh you know because uh, he didn't feel that you know uh you know he owed her the truth or 
that it would just cause problems or make her stressed and I'm doing this for her good or some nonsense, mm. uh, which, you know, further uh, slides him in a villain uh, sort of uh, uh, territory there. But uh, it's still sort of a, uh, it would kind of really make sense given what we're presented here, but also, you know, limited airtime for the episode. And I do think just as a little final thing here, uh, I'd be kind of lax. It's, it's very similar to what we talked about with the ageism, but I'd be a little lapsed if I... Uh, didn't talk about how this is also showing um, internalized ableism and just general ableism mm -hmm. because it's not even just it's not just the fact that he's old they are able to for some reason they also put in that he has a degenerative illness yeah which the only reason I can think that they would put that in is to explain why he looks so awful at 80 yeah <laughs> could have just could have just aged him up yeah <laughs> It's like, yeah, she's aging gracefully and is 130, he's 150, you know, something like that. And they can even have a storyline where they actually met later in life, you know, when he was kind of edging towards retirement, fell in love, and, you know, for a time everything was great because, you know, they they get along well and uh, he was kind of, you know, looking forward uh, to uh, uh, retirement. Um, but uh, then this damn thing happened and suddenly he's back in the mode again. Mm-hmm. But so you do, but then you do wind up with another, you know, like I said, there's ableism in this because the reason that he's doesn't believe he can do his job is because he has a degenerative illness. And he says mm -hmm. that he has to go out and, and find all these cures and things because he has a degenerative illness, which again suggests that people with long term illnesses are also not treated completely equally in the society. Oh. But we don't know enough about this because it's it's odd that like, you know, we have an 86 year old who is at least in a, at least in a semi advanced stage of a degenerative illness because he has to use a wheelchair. He's got some ill effects happening to him physically mm -hmm. and he's still a respected admiral and diplomat to the point that he's still working in Starfleet. He's still a high ranking officer and he's still tasked for this specific expedition Indeed. they didn't say like oh no this guy doesn't work here anymore and we're not going to send an 85 year old off to do ambassadorial work oh yeah he might have some stuff going on but you know he's good to go as far as uh you know we're concerned so yeah which does then suggest that either this is either people are still ageist and he's just able to have some clout as an admiral or we have kind of fixed this problem at this point in the future and he has this internal problem but then we get really no idea where this came from for yeah. himself why in a society that wouldn't mind that does value the experience and existence of an older person and a disabled person mm -hmm. does he get this idea that both of those things are so bad that he has to do this incredibly risky thing to himself yeah i, I think there could have been some interesting sort of exploration there uh, maybe in a, a short conversation, it's like, you know, you know, when I was young, this is, you know, kind of how people viewed being older. And, uh, you know, that's maybe not the case now, but, you know, you know, I, you know, sort of hint that he's, you know, sort of has grew up in a different society and that the society of the Federation in the present has moved on and gotten better on these things. You know, Picard's only, a, you know, a few decades younger than him. And he's like, yeah, you know, old's being cool, you know, you know. Yeah, well, you can you learn from your mistakes as a kid, and then you like are able to be more badass. It's great. Yeah, and you do have a bit of a through line, I guess I should say, because they do try to set up a bit of a um, him being obsessed with and regretting the decisions that he made in his past, mm -hmm. and seeing this as an opportunity to remake those same decisions because it's such a similar situation. Yeah, but that kind of gets thrown in right at the end, and then also it's odd with how it's shown that he's still deteriorating because he doesn't remember that where the tunnels are etc etc and they really don't make it clear whether that's a side effect from the medication or if it's just because he's old and doesn't remember things i kind of actually interpreted it as you know his uh you know strong-headedness here was having him not focus on the new changes to the situation that maybe things have changed in the decades since he was there. Uh, and But he's just not interested in, you know, uh, sort of internalizing them because he wants to sort of refight that previous battle. 
Yeah, so I would say there's also that. There's there's a very large component of what this episode's trying to talk about of being obsessed with youth mm-hmm. as a concept. But that is still also just a... We have these weird things. We have these weird things where, like, we have an incredibly ageist society, but then we criticize people for not being happy with that situation by saying you shouldn't be obsessed with your youth and you should just be happy to be older, mm-hmm. etc., and we we judge people for not wanting to have to put up with the shit we put them through. Maybe it's maybe it's time for uh, the Federation to reevaluate its own society here. Maybe there's still things that uh, could be improved upon. Well, ninety percent of what we see in Star Trek is things that could be improved upon. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really got much more than that uh, to sort of uh, poke at on this one. Um, I've already talked about the old age makeup uh, being kind of, uh, but it is a, uh, you know, makeup to age, uh, you know, uh, actors up uh, is a time honored tradition in various uh, forms of uh, theater, you know, film, TVs and things like that. Um, but now we have through advanced technology, the means to de-age them digitally. And sometimes it looks awkward. Sometimes it doesn't. And horrifying, horrifying. ways. <laughs> Like, uh, just don't have them smile too much. Their teeth will fall out. <laughs> and by fall out, Age. I mean <laughs> go outside. I don't understand it completely, not not knowing a ton about special effects makeup. But aging and de-aging makeups are some of the full-on most difficult that you can take on. Because mm-hmm. like, they want didn't them do to it look well. The same. And we, we want this person to look like the same person. But we need some way to put more things on their face without making them look puffy, and we kind of did here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, and I, then the uh, you know the other stuff just gets into uncanny valley, valley territory very quickly. Yes, uh, which you know some folks are okay with, uh, some other people are c- creeped out by. But there's also examples where everyone's creeped out by it. So you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm surprised that we were able to get this much out of this episode. Yes. So <laughs> I suppose that it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. we got various contestants today who have been racking up all sorts of uh, points and uh, we're ready to hand out some prizes. The first one is we're going to hand out is the Endless War Prize, which goes to Karnas for his pursuit of a decades-on war- civil war. Uh, though, I guess in his defense, he didn't just lay over and die because, you know, that would have maybe solved everything. Karnas, you suck, just in general. Anyway... <laughs> I know he's not the only one responsible here, but uh, what does he win today, Gepwin? He wins laser tag. With this weird advanced weaponry and him giving it to both sides overall, you could just give them, like, super advanced laser tag and not have anyone die. That would have been awesome. Wait, what if that's what they actually did? (laughs) (laughs) The Civil War this entire time has been a big laser tag thing, and the Federation just didn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Good work, uh, Gep. When you've solved, uh, you know, all the death and destruction there, congratulations. <laughs> Our uh, second prize is the what Prime Directive Prime just goes to Admiral Date Jameson, the other bad guy in this episode, uh, for his uh, a- awkward interpretation of the Prime Directive, where it's like, yeah, I'll uh, not interfere by interfering all the way. What does he win, Gepwin? He wins civilian oversight. Because I don't know what they're doing in the Federation by this point. But we found out something like this was happening under the Reagan administration, which mm-hmm. is one of the most corrupt time periods in our government's history. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> maybe this guy should have been, you know, found out a lot sooner than this. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, the Federation Council is kind of powerless at this point in time, huh? <laughs> Anyway, the final prize today is the Are We the Guest Stars prize, which goes to the crew of the Enterprise until Picard finally step, uh, puts his foot down and steps up and is like, hey, I'm fed up with this uh, situation. I'm going to be in this plot, too. Uh, so uh, what, what do they win, Gapwin? The Enterprise crew wins the Federation's new Uber app, because that's a lot of what they do in some of these. It's like, we're here to ferry the guy from place to place and have some mildly intellectual discussions along the way. 
Yes, the uh, the USS Taxi Enterprise for your uh, enterprising uh, taxiing needs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got for this week, Epwin. Uh, you know, so uh, feel free to take us away. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, I'm going to show off my gray hairs in the meantime. So uh, look over here and over here. And it's cool, guys. It's actually making me look stunning. No, I started going gray in around 25 because everyone in my family does. But it comes in in cool streaks. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for joining us and listening to this thing that we call the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. That was an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, I mean, there's more to it than the episode would make it seem, but somehow just the way that they do it is very bland. Yeah. So bland. I guess this is a a very beige episode. Yeah, one of those. Yes. Mm -hmm. The uh, overall presentation is not really offensive, uh, even though there's some kind of uh, stuff going on, but, you know, it just kind of happens. Well, next is one of the weirder episodes of the first season. It's one that everyone remembers because it's one of these um, Wesley-focused episodes. Yep. And, uh, the, you know, the other one was, haha, they should have just left Wesley die. Um, this one is the, oh, they should have just left Wesley behind. Uh, he would have been a, a good uh, uh, caretaker of their massive supercomputer. Yeah. This is um, one of the most confusingly named episodes. We hit a few of these, but this is yeah. one of the more confusingly named episodes um, called When the Bow Breaks. You, do you think this has something to do with trees? Maybe. I, I can't. I couldn't find any particular reason it's called this. Time really. Come baby. Uh, cradle and all. Yeah. But I guess just because it's about children. Eh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> It's just strange. It's strange overall. It's 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 one of these weird ones. It's one of these um, mythical space thing. But like I know, like Babylon Five did a lot more of the mythical spaces, giant and vast. And you have no idea what's going on out there. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Trek didn't lean into that as much. But every now and then, it would pop up one of these like it's the mythical planet of whatever the hell. And oh look, it just magically appeared before us. That's convenient. We were just talking about that. Yeah. This is the right sector of space for it, so that's why I was talking about it. That's clearly why it appears just today. <laughs> yeah. You know, with Babylon 5, it's like, yeah, there's all sorts of mysterious things beyond the rim, and no one really knows what's out there. And uh, and then you got this, the, the Vorlons over there, and they've got their kind of space, and they're being all mysterious over there. Don't go there either. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of mysterious stuff out there. Uh, so stick to our known space lanes, please. So... This is the episode where they steal children in a weird way. That's that's a lot of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, they got some uh, some problems there that they're not really addressing. But uh, stealing children will totally solve it for reals. These guys. Also, uh, one of the actors in it uh, in this next episode uh, was in the Lost Star- Last Starfighter. Yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, there's just a ton of guest stars yes. in this. So <laughs> there is that. There's so many guest stars. So I, I just figured I'd bring it up now. <laughs> when the bow breaks, uh, we uh, learn about alien music and uh, you know when it's okay to uh, you know steal children as long as you pay for huh. it and uh, <laughs> and also uh, Wesley. Uh, tries to pull a Dr. Martin Luther King here, but... Uh, yeah, it doesn't work well. Yeah, it's it's like, well, you could do many other sort of ways to resist your situation here that is more than just being quiet around the people that kidnapped you, because <laughs> they might actually like that. Hmm. Yeah. And we probably might, and we also will probably talk about this a bit more in the next thing, but it's also one of those episodes where they needed a lot of child actors. Yes. So, like, the background characters are mostly cast and crew and, mm-hmm. like, Will Wheaton's siblings. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, hey, we just need a lot of people here. Uh, we'll, we'll give you lunch and maybe $10. Uh, just to yeah. kind of stand in the background here. <laughs> so, next time we talk about child kidnapping. Hooray! Will will it tie into Stranger Danger? Who knows? 
when the bow breaks. Next time. Yes. Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Planet of Kidnappers. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>